Chapter 16 of Zafloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by DJ in Chatham, Ontario, Canada. Zafloya by Charlotte Dacker. Chapter 16. The letter which was written by Megalana Strozzi, and which, from an obscure spot in the island of Capri, she had caused to be conveyed to Berenza, has been already given at full in a preceding part of this history, and was received, as stated, about a fortnight after the mutual flight of Leonardo and herself. Well knowing that pursuit must be in vain, and from the precautions they had taken, to trace their route impossible. Still undetermined where eventually to fix, but resolving to be guided by circumstances respecting their future plans, we must now, for a considerable length of time, leave them and return to the thread of our narrative." Youth and that strength of mind which precluded hypochondriac malady did not permit Victoria to languish long under the effects of her wound. She grew rapidly convalescent, but during her inevitable confinement, external objects not intervening much to distract her regards by flattering her vanity, she had full leisure to concentrate her great and varied powers into one point, that of rendering herself an object of such moment to her lover that he should consider with horror the bare possibility of losing her, and be anxious to bind her more completely to his, by ties esteemed indissoluble. But such had already been the effect produced upon Berenza, by conduct which he could not help considering proof of the most heroic love, as well as courage, that he no longer viewed her with tender passion only, but with the strongest sentiments of gratitude and enthusiastic admiration. What could woman more than voluntarily, nay eagerly, oppose her own life in defense of his? Who but Victoria could possess at once such tender and such exalted sentiments towards a lover? Longer to doubt the truth, the romantic ardor of her attachment would, he esteemed, be sacrilege. His ideas underwent a wonderful but natural revolution. No more the haughty Berenza, proud of his noble, his unsullied blood, fearing to dash it with a tincture of disgrace. No more looking down, with protecting air, a high and superior being, upon a mistress beloved indeed, but not considered as an equal. Because, though innocent in reality, in his eyes she was a scion of infamy and shame. No, his heart now throbbed with excessive tenderness, and now ached with compunctious pangs, that he could ever have deemed unworthy of his honorable love the creature before him, shining superior in a glory emanating from herself, the creature to whom he now thought himself inferior. So complete and powerful a dominion had the act of Victoria obtained over his mind, that his proud and dignified attachment softened into a doting and idolatrous love. He was no longer the refined, the calculating philosopher, but the yielding devoted lover, devoted to the excess of his passion. In short, he felt that now to be happy, to conciliate his conscience, and to atone to Victoria for his past injustice, he must make her his wife. No sooner had he formed this resolution than he believed himself to have discovered a balm for everything, and to experience a pun, sensation of delight till now unknown. Unable long to contend against the strong impulse of his heart, he waited only for the re-establishment of Victoria's health, to pour out his feelings at her feet, and to offer to her the unworthy gift of himself. When, therefore, he thought her sufficiently recovered to permit him to touch upon a subject that must, as he supposed, occasion some emotion, he no longer withheld himself from giving utterance to what had of late so often risen from an overflowing heart to his lips. Victoria heard him with a look of complacency, and all that softness she knew so well how to assume, but pride having always kept her from surmising the struggles of Berenza upon her subject, and that he had not till this period offered to become her husband, because till this period he had deemed her unworthy to become his wife, having never surmised this, she betrayed no immediate emotion or unspeakable delight, no overpowering transport or surprise, but listened to him in silence with an acquiescent smile, 
This being considered by Barenza as a coolness of demeanor, uncongenial to the subject, he mentally attributed it to a wounded pride in Victoria that he had not sooner made her an offer of his hand. His own noble delicacy caught the alarm, and his liberal soul acknowledged the justice of her feeling. Anxious then to remove from her mind every uneasy impression, the ardor of his manner increased, and he prayed of Victoria to pardon the unworthiness of his past scruples. Here Berenza erred. Had he stopped at the simple intention of offering his hand to Victoria, he had done right. But his last insinuation, though broken and obscure, darted like lightning through her brain, and struck to her proud heart as a three-edged dagger. That proud heart had now indeed taken an alarm far beyond any Berenza's imagination could have conceived. Her brow lowered, she turned of an ashy paleness, as sudden hatred and desire of revenge took possession of her vindictive soul. The conveyance flashed upon her that she had till this moment been deemed by Berenza unworthy of becoming his wife. The secret then is betrayed, thought she. The sort of union into which he entered with me, and which plainly I preferred as a proof of his love for me, was desired by him only as being least offensive to his dignity and pride. Tis well. Rapidly these ideas passed through the mind of Victoria, and, while secretly vowing the offence should never be forgotten, she again harmonized her features, and clothed them with smiles, since such had been the sentiments of Berenza, and now became unquestionably a desirable point to become at once his wife. To have triumphed by any means over his stern and detested pride was something, but it could not obliterate the crime of having ever dared to view her in an inferior light. Unhappy Berenza, all thy delicacy, thy forbearance, and nobleness of mind will not save thee from the consequences of having proceeded thus far. The changes of Victoria's countenance were only attributed by her lover to an unconquerable emotion, which she struggled to conceal, at this undeniable proof of the strength of his attachment to her. Delicately solicitous to raise her in her own eyes, he, with pressing earnestness, entreated of her a prompt compliance to their union. Victoria fixed him her eyes, pregnant with an unusual expression, for busy were her evil thoughts against him. "'Why is that look, my love?' inquired Berenza. "'I look upon thee as I love thee,' answered Victoria. "'And thou wilt be mine, honorably and solemnly mine, then?' said Berenza, with eagerness. "'I will,' answered Victoria. "'I most ardently desire to become thy wife.' Berenza, who understood nothing by these expressions but simply what met the ear, viewed her with an increase of tenderness and admiration. For it is a principle in human nature to exalt in our minds those objects we are determined to favor and elevate. A very short period from this beheld Victoria de Loredani, the wife of Il Conte Berenza, and becoming so, her faults in the eyes of an admiring husband were wholly obliterated, and her better qualities appeared to shine forth with redoubled effect. With what a difference and far more refined feeling did he now walk with her in St. Mark's Place, or exhibit her on the Laguna amid thousands of gay Venetians in their gondolas. With what pleasure, with what delight, with an air how unembarrassed did he now introduce as his wife to an elegant and respectable society, her whom he could have felt but a vain and inconsiderable triumph in introducing as his mistress to the gay and the dissolute. In having made his Victoria an honorable wife, he experienced a noble and benevolent satisfaction, which had for its basis the reflection of having raised to a level with the higher class of society, her who he might have been instrumental in sinking to that of the lowest. But though the conduct of the refined Berenza was such as to claim and to deserve the highest gratitude and love, the vindictive spirit of Victoria could not forget that he had deemed her unworthy of ranking on an equality with himself. For this, in her moments of solitude, her heart swelled with unforgiving hate. She despised and undervalued the advantages she possessed, and fed the discontented repinings of her mind by recalling to memory the moment when he unfortunately betrayed the slate of his sentiments respecting her. 
Sometimes she even regretted that, under circumstances so humiliating, she had consented to become his wife, and almost determined to shew her contempt of his fancied condescension by abandoning him. If at these times her unconscious husband by chance obtruded, he was received with a gloomy and discontented air, which when he pressed her to explain, she attributed either to indisposition or an involuntary depression of spirits. When the mind is dissatisfied, whether upon grounds just or unjust, it ever views objects through an exaggerated medium. Trifles which, when in the sane state, would have passed unnoticed, are twisted from their proper insignificance to aid the conceptions of a disturbed imagination. Thus was it with Victoria. She knew and felt that Berenza was her superior, and she imagined that he must feel it likewise. Every word, every look, every action, she thought reproached her with her former degradation and the abjectness from which it had pleased him to raise her. Her fits of gloom and abstraction increased. She forbore to cultivate any society, from a sentiment of most unpardonable pride, pride which, like a worm in the heart, the more it was cherished, the more corroded, and the luckless Berenza was sometimes, in the momentary sting of disappointed hope, compelled to acknowledge that though the situation of a wife might have rendered more respectable the object of his love, it had forever destroyed the charms and fascinations of the mistress. Yet still he loved with the tenderest, the truest affection. Five years now rolled on since a union but little productive of real happiness to either party, when one evening a violent ringing at the gate of the palazzo bespoke the approach of an impatient visitor. Soon a stranger was announced, and almost in the same moment entered the saloon. Berenza rose from his chair, but scarcely did he cast a glance toward him ere he flew into the arms that opened to receive him, exclaiming, "'Welcome to Venice! Welcome home, my beloved Henrique!' Then, turning towards Victoria, as surprise and delight permitted him to recover himself, "'Behold a beloved brother, my Victoria,' he said." And you, my brother, behold an adored wife, now, now, indeed may I expect to be truly happy. Henrique pressed the hand of his brother and paid some graceful compliments to Victoria, who, gazing upon him with admiration, in an instant drew ungrateful comparisons between their persons, to the disadvantage of him in whom her soul should have discerned no fault. But that benevolent and unsuspicious being seated himself between them and felt, as he deserved to be, truly happy. Hitherto it has not been thought requisite to enlarge materially upon the cause that induced the departure and stay of Berenza's brother from Venice. It has been hinted, however, that it was to divert, if possible, by activity and change of scene, the ardor and impetuosity of a passion that he had conceived for a young lady, whose father had, on the plea of their mutual youth, opposed their union, but who in reality was desirous only of obtaining a higher match for the blooming Lila, his daughter, at that period little more than thirteen years of age. For although he could not bestow upon her the smallest dowry, he conceived that the nobility of her birth entitled her to the first ducca in Venice. The circumstance of his having lately become deceased, which event Lila, in corresponding with, had imparted to her lover, was the means of bringing him thus in anxious eagerness to Venice, fondly hoping that now every obstacle to their union was removed, which still remained the first fond wish of his bosom, undiminished by time or an absence of years, for where, as with impassioned earnestness he demanded of himself, could he ever hope to find in another that purity and innocence, which his heart told him still dwelt incorruptible in the bosom of his young and lovely mistress? Berenza, to whom during supper he related the delightful cause of his sudden return, and dwelt with all the ardor of a lover upon the fond hope he entertained of being soon enabled to call Leela his, fondly took pleasure in flattering him that nothing indeed was now likely to disappoint the desires of his heart. Victoria listened in silence to the conversation, and an indefinite sentiment resembling regret glanced through her bosom when she thereby discovered that the affections of the young Enrique were so deeply engaged. At length they separated for the night, the lover to dream of the fair creature that in the morning he hoped to embrace, and the disturbed Victoria to arrange, if possible, 
the confusion of idea that floated in her mind. Scarcely had the first beams of morning enlightened the east ere Enrique awakened, ardent and impatient to visit the object of his love. Soon as propriety might in the least admit, he flew to her residence. The fair Leela received him indeed with all the warmth, with all the affection he could have wished, but his buoyant hopes were quelled by what she said in reply to his eager solicitations to become immediately his. Her father was indeed dead, but still impediments existed. She was under the protection of an ancient female relative, who with herself had remained with him in his last moments. It was the dying request, nay command of that father, cruel and relentless even in death, that she should not marry till the expiration of a whole year from the time that he should be consigned to the earth. To this she had solemnly and implicitly promised obedience. And to this requisition, hard as it was, she professed to Henrique her fixed resolution to adhere. Educated in sentiments of the severest piety, it was in her idea a sacred and religious obligation to her to fulfill a promise to the dying. Nay, she would have deemed it horrible sacrilege even to hesitate or waver respecting its performance, and all the entreaties of her lover to make her forego adherence to what he considered an arbitrary and most unjust command were not only vain, but tended almost to shake him in her long and deep-rooted sentiments of esteem, by giving her doubts of his moral character." Little more than one month had as yet elapsed since the interment of the tyrannical parent. Nearly a whole year even now must roll over their heads, ere they could become united. Yet even against this grievous representation on the side of Enrique, the pious Lila was proof, and, with a heart nearly as agonized as if he had been compelled to resign forever his hopes, the unhappy lover returned to his brother's palazzo. His first impulse was to seek him in private, and relate to him the disappointment of his wishes with Lila. The kind Berenza listened with attentive sympathy, and it occurred to him that since Lila would not immediately become the wife of Enrique, the pains of delay might be infinitely alleviated by prevailing on her to become a constant visitor at the palazzo, which, as Berenza was now married, and she herself under the protection of a female relative who would always accompany her, could not certainly be in the least unobjectionable alternative. This was indeed pouring balm into the wounds of Enrique. Scarcely would the eager and impassioned youth permit his brother to conclude, ere he rushed from his presence and appeared again before his beloved Leela, to impart to her the proposition of Berenza, and to implore her to accede to it. This the scrupulous and innocent girl offered no objection to, and the heart of her lover was once more rendered comparatively light. On the evening of the same day she consented, accompanied by her relation to visit Victoria, it was under that shape alone that Henrique had ventured to propose her seeing him at the palazzo of his brother. He then once more departed and related to Berenza his second attempt with the success it had met upon the conscientiousness and delicacy of his mistress. In the evening, according to promise, the fair girl made her appearance and was by Enrique introduced to the Conte and to Victoria as his destined wife. But never, ah, surely never, was unconscious guest received with feelings and with thoughts so hostile as was the innocent Leela by Victoria. Yet still the smile played upon the disciplined features of the accomplished hypocrite, and the hand was extended to bid her welcome. Throughout the evening her conduct was such as to excite a timid gratitude and respect in the breast of her lovely visitor, and to make her appear admirable in the eyes of the delighted Enrique. Why were unreal appearances that shed around such pure expansive satisfaction? Dark and dreadful are the intricacies of the human heart, when debased as was Victoria's. Almost unknowing to herself, she conceived immediate hatred for the orphan Leela, because she was dear, because she was beloved by Enrique, and Enrique had appeared charming in her eyes. It was the early influence of this newborn sentiment that generated one so base, and Victoria's was not a noble and an honorable mind, that would combat in itself feelings that were improper to be indulged, rather would she have sought their gratification, unminded of the misery that might be produced to others.
End of chapter 16. Recording by DJ in Chatham, Ontario, Canada.